It is a rare moment indeed when you get to speak with a minister of the gospel who is as highly esteemed as my next guest here on my podcast. He has ministered to folks around the world, including right here in Columbus, Georgia. You're not going to want to miss it. You're going to be blessed. Stick around for my, my podcast guest, Bishop James Swanson. Stay tuned. There is the word. There is the way and brothers and sisters who find strength in their belief. We meet Faces of Faith with Phil Scoggins. And thank you for joining me here on another edition of Faces of Faith. We have actually been away from the microphone in the studio for a few months, and this is our first podcast of 2022. And I am delighted to bring to you a guest that is coming to us uh, from St. Simon's Island right now, but he's actually... In Mississippi, he is the resident bishop of the Mississippi Conference of the United Methodist Church, and we're going to find out all about his life since leaving Columbus, also about his early years, how he met his wife, how he started in ministry. Bishop Swanson, thank you so much for being with me today. You're welcome. Let's start with, uh, you said that uh, just prior to our uh, cranking this up that you are in St. Simon's. What are you there for, sir? I'm a part of a group that's called the Order of the Flame. Um, it is um, an opportunity for young pastors and their spouses to come and uh, to be given the opportunity to um, to learn from um, some more seasoned pastors about what it will take for them to be um, fruitful and effective uh, mission evangelists, as we call them, um, um, moving into um, their ministry for years to come. So it is that, and also developing um, friendships that will last um, throughout the lifetime of their service to the Lord. Well, I know that a lot of folks that are listening to this podcast from right here in Columbus remember your days at St. Mary's Road United Methodist Church. When were you the pastor here? From 1987 to 2001. 13, 14. Great fond memories. 14 years now. Yeah. Well, Teresa Whitaker, my co-anchor, uh, was attending when you were the pastor there. And in fact, my first Ash Wednesday service, I had never been to one, was at St. Mary's Road United Methodist Church. And, uh, and you were preaching that night. I don't remember the specifics of the message, but I know that uh, you are a, a joy to listen to. And it's clear that you have an impact on people because... You, you're sought after uh, all over the world. You've, you've spoken to groups all over the world. In fact, we'll get into your recent trip to the Holy Land. I want to hear all about that. But uh, as you think back on your days here in Columbus, uh, describe your ministry here and the impact that you feel like you had during those 14 years on the congregation here. Wow. Well, Phil, as I said, we moved there in 1987. Um, and um, the interesting piece of that is that our conference, though so the United Methodist Church has, has uh, struggled with herself, uh, particularly since 1968, um, to be what we call an inclusive um, church, mm-hmm. uh, particularly around um, ethnicities. And um, I was the first African-American uh, to be appointed the pastor of the St. Mary's Road Church, and really the first African-American to be appointed to a previously all-white congregation. Uh, in what we call geographically the South Georgia Conference. Mm-hmm. And that was 1987. And St. Mary's Road was the church that uh, 
that they appointed me to. Um, so I went there in 1987. Uh, the church was um, literally experiencing a dramatic decline in, in, in members, um, in active members. Um, and we arrived, we had an average attendance between 10 or 12 people on Sunday. Oh, wow. And um, we had one um, out of the 12 persons that was one who was uh, from the Caribbean, uh, uh, all the Caribbean islands, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. uh, a guy named Dr. James Cross, um, who was holding just about every office in the church that you could <laughs> hold. Uh, and so uh, we went there, Delphine and I. Uh, in fact, we'd only been married one year when we arrived um, uh, at St. Mary's Road at that time. Um, and uh, we went really because there were just some things that had happened uh, in my uh, past before that uh, that convinced me that was the right appointment uh, for uh, for us. And it was a matter of the Lord also convincing Delphine because <laughs> we came from Savannah. Okay. And that was where a lot of her relatives lived. Mm -hmm. That was a lot for her to give up, was to move away from all those familiar surroundings. Clearly, the Lord did a work at St. Mary's Road United Methodist mm -hmm. Church under your direction. How did you take it from 10 to 12 people to, I don't know how many, you know, how many hundreds <laughs> of a membership you had when you left, but clearly um, the Lord opened some some avenues and and. And there was uh, blessings to come as a result of your ministry there. We went from an average attendance of, um, like I said, 10 to over 650 people on Sunday morning uh, and developed two worship uh, services, primary worship services on Sunday morning, mm -hmm. uh, an 8.30 service that evolved into an 8 o'clock service. Instead of going, we moved it from 8.30 to 8 and, and an 11 o'clock uh, worship experience. And we even experimented with them. Um, evening service about six o'clock so um it, it it was one of those things that grew uh exponentially in a lot of ways um and um not only am i uh, tremendously um I'm proud of the growth of the worship experience but also a lot of things that we did uh, that congregation when i left we were hosting uh, a school uh, that went from k2 through the second grade uh, we had adopted two schools. Um, we were involved in a Tuesday um, program called Reading is Fundamental. We brought kids from one of the uh, housing projects, and, and we started off with 20 of those students, and, and we were averaging 120. We would wow. come to learn how to read, how to write, uh, even how to, um, to exercise properly. Uh, and we were doing that... Um, we were so involved in so many things um, that um, and it amazed me what that congregation would do. They would come to me with, I'm, the Lord is leading me to do this. And I go like, okay, if the Lord is leading you, what is my role in that? <laughs> and next thing I know, we were involved in all kinds of things. And of course, I, I think the crowning jewel for us was when we realized that the facility we were in would not contain the ministry that we were, God was leading us to, we uh, enlarged that facility uh, and um, added um, more room and more space, uh, had, had vans. Uh, we were even looking at, when I left, a second uh, site, uh, but uh, we did not uh, achieve that while I was there. We were, we were also looking to expand to another site as well. 
what did you see uh, through your spiritual eyes as what happened in the hearts of the people uh, of that congregation uh, from during that 14-year stretch? Well, the interesting thing was that uh, St. Mary's Road seemed to be a congregation that the Lord had sort of chosen to be a place where people who had uh, either soured, I would say, mm-hmm. on the church, mm-hmm. people who had never given the church um, an opportunity to be a part of their lives seemed to congregate and come. I mean, even those who transferred from other congregations had not been, uh, say, leading um, members of their congregations. They had been people sort of on the periphery mm-hmm. uh, who found in St. Mary's Road a chance to display the gifts and graces that, that God had placed in their hearts to do uh, to do ministry. Uh, many of the things that, that happened in that church, people uh, gave me a lot of credit for them, but my, my uh, job was to help them discover their gifts and graces and free them up uh, to do that. And then the second part was to help equip them uh, to understand that this was the Lord's calling for them and that this was these were the gifts that God gave them to, to share with the world. Um, and they, they were so eager uh, to do that. And I think one of the things that we did early on as we did a visioning process in which we took the bold step of asking uh, two um, persons to serve on the visioning committee who were not members of our church, but they were members of the wider Columbus community. Mm-hmm. And they helped us to do what we needed to do. And that was to focus our attention outside of ourselves and to look outside to see what it was that God was calling us to not only do, but who it was God was calling us to be. And that, that that early map, which was about the second to third year of my tenure there, it guided us uh, with uh, with principles of growth and development um, for years to come. Uh, helped us to see that we need not serve ourselves, but we were called to serve God's world, and um, that helped a lot. And then partners we developed along the way. We we were surprised by them many people in Columbus, that when we dreamed dreams that were bigger than ourselves, how many people would come alongside of us. They were not, you know, they never joined our church, but mm-hmm. they would join our church mission and ministry. So, yeah. Let's go back to um, here you are, uh, a bishop, you, you've pastored, you are now um, um discipling and mentoring younger pastors and, and those that are that are going into the ministry but <clears throat> let's go back to to your calling tell me tell me about your growing up years tell me about your introduction to the Lord and how those days um, formed the person that that you've you've turned out to be well um, I was not actually uh, in uh, cradle. United Methodist. I actually grew up in um, uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Church mm-hmm. as a kid in, uh, in Houston, Texas. Um, but I had a pastor named Arthur J. Bundage, and that man could preach. I mean, uh, it's so simple that uh, even at the age of about eight years old, um, I could I could understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a favorite well, I had a favorite game I played when I was a kid in school. I mean, the church. I, back in those days, ladies wore these big, 
hats at church. Mm -hmm. And so me and my buddies, we would find the pew where there were more big hat ladies. (laughs) 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 So we would get in the pew behind them. (laughs) Our mothers actually sung in the choir. And so we wanted to hide. That was your blockade, huh? (laughs) 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 So we would go there and then I would save up a bunch of jokes all week long to tell jokes. And um, One Sunday I was there behind those ladies. And while I was telling the jokes, um, Elder Bonnage was preaching. And he was preaching about how much Jesus, um, how much God through Jesus loved us. And for some reason, it caught my attention. And I told the joke, and they were all laughing, all my friends, but I was listening mm-hmm. to Reverend Bondage. And then he said, as if he knew what I was doing, <laughs> he said, and he loves you even when you're being bad. He can see through the hats. <laughs> yeah, he can see through the hats. <laughs> and so after church, I asked my mother, I said, Mama, I said, is um, Reverend Bunny's right? She said, right about what? That Jesus loves me even when I'm bad. And she said, yeah. Yes, um, you should never doubt that. God doesn't love you just because you do everything right. God loves you just because you're his. And I just broke down and started crying. Mm. And um, she said, what's that about? I said, well, what does he want? <laughs> what does he want? She said, he just want to be in your heart. I said, when? She said, right now. I said, right now? She said, yeah. And she prayed with me uh, right there on the front lawn of the church mm-hmm. that I would accept Jesus into my heart at eight years old. And I just felt this relief mm-hmm. that, uh, that I'd allow Jesus to come into my heart. And that, and that was sort of my early beginnings. Um, I was so enamored with Elder Bondage. I thought he walked on water. And uh, there were a couple of other kind of mystical things that happened after that. Uh, I had a, some people, a man meet me on the sidewalk who I did not know, who patted me on the head and said, good afternoon, little preacher. And um, I kept walking and I turned around. He was gone. And uh, mm-hmm. there was no way that man could have, there was no place for him to go. Mm-hmm. But he was gone. Um, How old were you? Had to be maybe nine or ten. It had to be about a year after the yeah. conversion. Uh-huh. And uh, I was coming from my aunt's house, who lived a few my mother's house uh, that summer. And so, you know, things like that that happened um, uh, in my life uh, that pretty much forecast that I was going. And then in that same church, um, we had a Sunday school class that. Uh, uh, well, a Sunday school, and we'd have assembly afterwards where all of the classes would come together and you would review a Sunday school. So one Sunday was my turn to do a review of our Sunday school class. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got through reviewing the class, these three women came around and um, um, one of the older ladies, they all three, they looked at me really strange. And one of the ladies stepped forward and just kind of walked around me, looking at me and really looking at my head, which I couldn't understand. And she looked at the other lady. She said, yep, 
that's it. And he said, really? Are you sure? I said, yeah. He said, if there ever was a preacher head, that's a preacher head right there. <laughs> so and they all came and rubbed my head and said, oh, yeah. He's going to preach. I mean, <laughs> and I went and told my mom about it. She said, well, they, 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 don't, they, they may know what they're talking about, just like that. That's another word. And, um, you know, it was years later when I was in Vietnam, um, I went on a religious retreat. And it was there in the retreat with two chaplains, an African-American chaplain and a, and a white chaplain, that I finally accepted my call. I was um, 20 years old. and um, In Vietnam? Uh, in Vietnam, in a, in a religious retreat. Mm. When I got home uh, uh, and got out there, when I got out of the Army, I... Um, I was out one summer on Sunday, rather driving, and passed by a Bible college. And I said, "Well, if I ever really get serious about what I said, I'll go to Bible college there." Well, I went over there, enrolled. My GI Bill paid for it. They allowed me to pay them on on a monthly basis, and finished there. And then next thing I knew, I was in seminary. And, and I was at that time, I transferred from the AME Church to the Church of God in Christ. By that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pentecostal denomination. And um, anyway, it's just one thing after another. And while I was in seminary, uh, most of my friends were all United Baptists. Um, for some reason, they wanted to be my friend. And after I finished seminary, um, United Methodist um, district superintendent by the name of Ellie Bullington called me and asked me would I consider coming into the United Methodist Church. I was working for Southern Bell. I had a really good lucrative offer to come into um, management with them, starting off close to $100,000. Wow. And um, decided if I was going to preach, I better go now. And I went down there starting a little bit less than $12,000 a year. Wow. And that was in a four-point charge at four churches. I mean, it, it just seemed like every step of the way, God was planning something for me, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's how it happened. So, um, so you started um, in in what area? What what city were you in? Batesboro, Georgia, because I was in Atlanta going to seminary. Okay. By that time, I left Houston when I finished Bible college mm-hmm. and went to Atlanta, uh, and um, was there for three years and finished up and. Oh, seven, eight months after I finished. Um, that was when the United Methodist came calling. And uh, that uh, that June of the following year, I finished in 80, the June of 81, was when I accepted their invitation to become a United Methodist and went down to Statesboro, Georgia, and uh, had one church in Statesboro proper and then three out in the rural area of a, of a county called Scriven County. And I was uh, there for three years. All four churches um, grew. Um, it seemed like God had just given me a gift to win people to Christ. And uh, uh, I didn't know that my district superintendent and his wife were plotting because they, they, they said, you're a great pastor, but you'd be so much better when you get married. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and they plotted against me. And, uh, Is that when Delphine came into your life? Yeah, when they moved me from Batesboro to Savannah. 
gave me two churches and Delphine was singing in the choir in one of the churches. Uh, and, uh, I hear so many stories about that where it's, it's a singing choir member that grabs your heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, actually, you can't do that anymore in the United States Church because at that time you could. But, you know, we've got more, um, um, what I would call it, um, we've gotten more um, cautious about that. And uh, we realized that, uh, that a lot of uh, abuse has happened because of that. Mm-hmm. And so now you can't do it. You either have to go, you have to move you from that church, or the person you are enamored with mm-hmm. <laughs> would have to go and join another church. Because that's kind of a conflict of interest of trying to be that person's pastor and also date them, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so I, I that's got wisdom, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's very good wisdom. Yeah. I, in fact, I, I talk to my pastors about that because it, it is a conflict. Mm-hmm. I mean, if she needs me as a spiritual guide and, and, and not her, <laughs> not her fiance. <laughs> and, and so uh, we were able to do it because. She was a woman of tremendous integrity, and uh, I knew she loved me, and she helped me to be who I needed to be um, as a man of God. And but two years into that, we got married, and um, a year after that, um, not even quite a year, um, Bishop um, came calling about me coming to Columbus. So we'd only been married. We had we had been married one year when we moved to Columbus. And, uh, so how did she take the idea of mass of marrying a, a pastor and being a pastor's wife? Was that what what she saw for herself? Well, she one thing about it, she knew what she was getting at. She, she thought she knew what she was getting. At, <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> so, so I think she was ready for it. Um, she had an aunt. Um, who was married to a preacher. And her mother was real involved in the church. Like I knew her mother before I knew her. And um, I used to tease her all the time and say, and the reason I married you because your mama is such a great woman. I knew what you were going to become. <laughs> and she always <laughs> gets so mad. <laughs> but uh, it's always I to get getting good with a mother in law. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but part of it was. Also, uh, you know, Delphine's faith in God is extremely strong. And, um, but I think she didn't like that idea of moving that first year. And so many family members lived there in Savannah. And, uh, but, and when I told her about it, with that fact really, when the superintendent called me and said he wanted me to move to Columbus, I said yes. And I hung the phone up and she said, so you know, that's the way our marriage is going to be. Mm. I said, well, you know, she said, uh, made you and you make it without talking to me. And that didn't hit me, you know. Uh, and so I said, let me call him back. I said, uh, she said, no. She said, I told mama, mama and I talked about this, and she warned me that I was marrying a Methodist preacher and that they itinerate, they move, mm-hmm. and that I needed to be aware that I might be called upon to move with. She said, but I just wanted us to be clear that whenever this happens, it happens to us, not just to you. Uh-huh. And I heard that. 
And I told her, I, I just apologized, and I'm so sorry. She, and I said, well, I'll call him back and tell him to move. She said, no, we don't need any more time, buddy. She said, if the Lord has convinced you you need to move, we'll move. Of course, that didn't do anything but make me love her more. Yeah. You know, and uh, so we moved to uh, to Columbus, and uh, that's the rest of the history. Uh, you see, how many children? Move. Well, really, see, I've been married before. Mm -hmm. so I, you know, I had four kids from a previous marriage, mm -hmm. and um, that's another reason I love Delphine so much because she accepted my four mm -hmm. and was fully mothered to them. And we've had two together. Um, and, uh, How many grandchildren? I have about 19. Oh, oh right. <laughs> A quiver full, as I say. Yeah, yeah. She was, she is, she just, I mean, she has been a, been a great grandmother. That's one reason I'm looking forward to retirement, too, is because um, grandkids are just stealing my heart. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I, I don't want to get to the point where I can't do anything because um, grandkids are a bundle of energy. They like to play with you. They like for you to take them places and do things with them. And you get to a point in your life where you mentally you're fine, but physically your body is just going to yeah. go out. There's nothing you can do about that. And so I want to have some more years with them where I can still pick them up and we can run through the house and, do things together and go to amusement parks and go to movies and stuff like that together and go fishing and, you know, let them ride the golf carts with me before, uh, you know, I get to the point where I can't. And I want them to remember me, you know, when I'm gone. And um, I don't want them to remember me just, uh, you know, coming through on my way to go somewhere to preach. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, you know, that's the part of my life that, that I want to the last 20 years or so, whatever I have left to mm -hmm. be more and more important than anything else. After you left Columbus, uh, what was your next stop? Savannah. <laughs> we went back to Savannah for three years. Okay. That's what we call district superintendent where I had uh, uh, responsibility to supervise um, uh, 48 appointments and really which was 50 churches because I had one church that one appointment that had two churches well two appointments where they had two mm -hmm. churches and so um so we went back to Savannah and I had responsibility for all the United Methodist churches in um, um Chatham County mm -hmm. um Effingham County Liberty County and also Long County and so that was those that's that those were my areas but we actually lived in uh Savannah itself and, um, how how it, much it, of a change was that for you to go from pastoring to pastoring pastors? It was tough because part of it, as you pretty well know, if you've ever heard me preach, I love to preach. And so you don't preach as much. Um, you yeah. go and you listen to other people preach yeah. because you have to be able to um, you have to be able to report on their ability, not your ability. Mm -hmm. And so it was tough, but then you uh, you learn um, as you build relationships with them and with their congregations to be observant, to see what it is they need that you can supply, uh, when is it that you need to intervene and help them work through uh, sticky issues, um, um, 
growth and development for themselves, um, maybe even helping a congregation decide that maybe your life cycle is over, that you've, uh, you've done all you can do for the Lord and it's time for you to, uh, to make room for another church to spring up because it's time for you all to, uh, uh, to move in another direction. That's very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you equip your pastors to be better pastors? And uh, how do you equip even ladies to be better persons? Uh, you become the eye or the mirror that they need to use to reflect on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's different when you are the one calling the shots, so to speak, in your own setting. And here you're more um, being reflective with people. And it's a little, it's a whole lot different. Um, than being um, the person who's sort of in charge. Um, and so it took a, um, I had to learn how to listen more um, than I'd ever done before. Um, I did a little preaching, but nowhere near what I'd done at St. Mary's Road over the last 15 years. Um, and so, um, but I think it was very fruitful. Uh, and also you get a chance to, introduce um, new people uh, to the ministry because they would come to you if they felt like they needed to get feel in the call. <clears throat> so you got a chance to, to do that. Um, what, what led you to Mississippi? Well, see, once you, and I got a, well, I, I, while I was in Savannah, um, well, even before I left Columbus, I'd been nominated for the office of bishop. And the first time I ran, um, I did not um, get elected. And that was a part of me that was sad, but mm-hmm. that was a part of me that was happy because I love Columbus. And uh, in fact, your colleague, Miss uh, Teresa Whitaker, did a, uh, a sort of exit interview with me. And uh, I've tried for years to get the, the video from that. She won't give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, she made me cry on that thing because she asked me one question about leaving uh, St. Mary's Road. And, um, and I started crying. I asked her, you're not going to show that. <laughs> she said, yes, I am. <laughs> That's part of being a news <laughs> But anyway, uh, so I ran, but I didn't get elected. And so I was happy. People were happy. But that year I left anyway, because the same, that was in 2001. And um, that I ran. But my, my bishop then moved me to Savannah to be the district superintendent. Well, in 2004, uh, I was nominated again to run for bishop. And that was when I got elected. It was in 2004 while I was in Savannah. And of course then, um, and one thing that people don't often know is when you, are, when you are elected a bishop, usually your first term, you don't serve in your home area. So uh, I knew I was not going to serve in Georgia. And so you, once you elected the, uh, what we call jurisdictional uh, committee on Episcopacy, which represent for us the nine Southeastern states, mm-hmm. uh, representatives from those groups they meet and they decide where you go. Well, my first assignment really was to Knoxville, Tennessee. And I had um, the area of Southwest Virginia, East Tennessee, and a little bit of Georgia. Uh, a little piece of about three counties in North Georgia. Uh, I served in there for eight years. And then um, my eight-year 
term, so to speak. Uh, well, you have to be reassigned every four years, and you can pretty much count, unless you really mess up bad, that you're going to say for at least eight years mm -hmm. you know, in, um, in that area. And then because I had eight more years to serve, um, then I was um, eligible to go somewhere else if I wanted to. And if um, someone else might want me, and what happened was Mississippi did. And so they um, lobbied really hard within the Jurisdictional Episcopacy Committee and for me to come to Mississippi. And that's how I went there in 2012, uh, which is interesting. That's really my mother's home. I mean, she was born and raised in Mississippi. Really? And I never, yeah, and I never lived in Mississippi. So it was interesting that I, that I went there. So. You do a lot of uh, traveling because you are in high demand. People still like to hear you preach. <laughs> Obviously, they still like to hear you uh, teach yeah. and, and minister in, in mentoring uh, younger pastors and what have you. But uh, you just recently returned from uh, a trip to the Holy Land. And back in 1999, I was blessed to, to get to go to Israel. In fact, I had, had just been working here about a year and uh, our news director was able to, to make arrangements for three of us to make a trip to Israel for 10 days. And it was uh, a, a life-changing experience. I, I, uh, I remember <coughs> driving into Jerusalem, obviously one of the oldest cities in the world, and the first impression that I had, and this was in 1999, so it's 20-something years ago, how many cell phones I saw. <laughs> I, 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 back in those 20-something years ago, if you had a cell phone, uh -huh. your bill uh -huh. was astronomical. You couldn't really afford them. Mm -hmm. but, but they were everywhere you looked, and, and that was how far ahead Israel was technology-wise of, of us, I assume, back then. But mm. um, tell me about you know, your recent trip, uh, what took you there, and some some impressions. What I'm curious about is uh, folks who who spend their lives uh, diving into the Bible and into Scripture and into what Jesus did while He was here to be able to go there. What are some of the places and the images that impacted you the most on on your most recent trip? Well, recently, you need to know I've been about six times and. Um, but the recent trip that was interesting because this is, uh, you know, um, we were the first group to be allowed to go in um, after Israel had shut down because of COVID. Okay. So when we went back in um, January uh, of this year, uh, I went with a group called uh, Educational Opportunities, and we were their first official group to be allowed in mm -hmm. uh, Israel. The, the beauty of it was we didn't have to compete with other groups at all. I mean, it was the first time I'd been there and I was not crowded out by other groups. Yeah. So I got to see things that I had passed or I was there, but somebody was standing there, so I didn't see it. So it was really looking at Israel uh, and um, the holy sites uh, as if, um, well, it was the first time. Mm -hmm. 
uh, give you just a case in point. If you ever been to the church of the nativity where Jesus was born, yes. uh, you get in there. Well, first of all, that, that church itself had been um, damaged by fire years and years ago. And um, they had finally reached an agreement where uh, they could repair it and get rid of all of the soot and everything. And so we go in there and the soot is gone. And I'm going like, Oh my God, um, I can see murals that they had painted hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't see them before my first five trips. I didn't see them. Mm-hmm. In fact, I have pictures of them now. Um, and so I got to see that and, and I'm not standing in a line. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't have to, to do that. Then there's that, that spot you go to that's off to the right side of the chancel area uh, that's there where you go down mm-hmm. uh, into the cave area where Jesus was actually born. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not having to hold myself up so I don't get pushed down those stairs. And that was unusual uh, to not have to go through all of that. And then when you get there, I could spend some time mm-hmm at the site where Mary actually gave birth to Jesus. Mm. And to put your hand right there on that, in that, well, I was able to do it before, but I was in a rush because everybody was pushing you. Mm -hmm. So you got there and you look up, take a quick picture and get out Mm -hmm. because someone is behind you. This time I'm able to just to linger and to feel the moment and to think about this is where my Lord actually came forth from Mary's womb. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I got a chance to think like that. And then you, then you finally, you get up and you go just a few steps over to your left. And this is the, the peak the place where she lay him in the manger in swaddling clothes. And you get a chance to go there and you linger. You don't, you're not rushed. So, so the, the piece of going this time was I didn't have to rush. Mm-hmm. Nothing was rushed. And that was the first time in five trips here, I'm six trip, where I'm not rushed at all. Um, and so I really saw the church of the nativity. I experienced it and not, I wasn't a tourist. Mm-hmm. I was a pilgrim, mm-hmm. actually a pilgrim. Um, and so there were, and this happened at just about every place I went. Now, my favorite places, uh, is, um, one of them is Nazareth. Um, uh, it is, um, where, where Mary's, um, well, they believe that Mary actually received, um, her, her vision where the angel came to her and told her she was going to be a child. Mm-hmm. There are two, two churches there. One is a very large church and one is a really small one because the, the, um, the, the story is that for some, she was getting water from a well when that happened. And another one is at the place, the other church is at a place that they believe was her home, uh, where she actually lived. Um, so you go in there, and my favorite one is the well church. Uh, every time I go, mm-hmm. somehow I always go 
down the stairs and go into the, the church, the sanctuary, well, the church building. Mm-hmm. And then there's this, you can go straight through there and there's the well down below. You got to go down these steps. And to the right is a, is a window. And that window is where they believe the angel actually appeared to Mary. And then you can go, and the water is still running in that well. You can hear the oh, water really? running. Yeah, you can actually hear the <clears throat> water running. And so, and every time I've gone, somehow, I always seem to be in there by myself. And I don't know why. Out of all trips I've taken, it seems like people leave me there. Mm. And that has always been a sacred spot for me. Because it's almost like I can feel the presence yeah. of that angel over my right shoulder. And and that has always been a place. Now, one of the ones I did not get to this time, because I didn't go over to Jordan, is Mount Nebo. And Mount Nebo actually is where um, Moses actually stood and got a chance to look over into the promised land that he would never walk in. And the time I went, I was blessed because it was a clear day. And I could see the Jordan River make meandering its way um, all the way down. Uh, and you could see the Sea of Galilee mm-hmm. and even the Red Sea. Now, the scripture said he could see all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. I couldn't. But, but that whole plain, that whole area of, of Israel. And now that was... Oh, that was so special to me. And, and you can understand that, you know, being African-American and thinking about freedom mm-hmm. and people going into freedom mm-hmm. and him being there was very special to me. And of course, the, the third one, in, in, and I, I don't rank these, I'm not saying these in part of rank, sure. was Calvary. Um, it's very, you know, in the, in the Holy Sepulchre, because you, you go in there in that big place, uh, you get to go up the stairs and then put your hand in this hole. And that's, that is the hole where Jesus, where the cross was lowered. Mm -hmm. Bam. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of folk don't get to do this. Um, I got a chance to actually go into the, the uh, chancel area, which is where the pulpit and all, and the communion table and all that is. And there's a, there's a door off to the left that stays locked all the time. One time I went, they unlocked that door and allowed me and the guide, nobody else in the crew was able to go. And we actually went down the stairs and we actually got to lay my hands physically on Calvary. Mm. And that will stay with me for the rest of my life. I mean, so I know, see, when you see the chapels there, you see the churches there, mm-hmm. you often don't get to see the actual site. Yeah. That's the part that sometimes um, um, takes away from it. For yeah, people. the trappings. Folk, yeah. Right, the trappings. But mm-hmm. what people don't realize, had they not built the churches, that would be nothing for you to see. Because as with Calvary and even the tomb, people would come and they would chip parts of it away mm-hmm. and they take it back home as mm-hmm. icons. Mm-hmm. So they had to protect it from the tourists and from the pilgrims who would come. Otherwise that would be nothing. 
because everybody would take it. And that's why they built churches on top of it, was to protect the holy sites. But when I got a chance to lay my hands mm. on Calvary and I saw a, a drawing, someone had drawn a picture of their boat and they literally wrote on the side of it. Uh, and and um, I think it was, it was an Italian, it was in a different language and the, and the priest translated it for us. It literally says, from our home, Lord, we have sailed. We're coming to see where you made sacrifice for us. And this went back to like 1300 or something when they had drawn that picture there. And it was still there. I call that holy graffiti. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. I, re I remember on our trip, we went to Tiberias. Oh, and yeah. um, we were staying in a hotel that was right there on the, on the Sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm. And um, the first night that we spent in Tiberias, um, actually the only night, um, we had a big feast. They had a, a huge area that that was like a deck that went out onto the Sea of Galilee, and they just they brought us food like you wouldn't believe. It was uh, it. Every imaginable type of, of, of dish, especially, uh, you know, seafood. And mm -hmm. and so we, we were spoiled that night. Well, the next night, we had to, to make our way by nightfall. We were moving on to, I don't know where we were headed at that point, on, on up north mm -hmm. to Capernaum or, or one of those cities, maybe. But um, so the next night, we had to quickly grab a meal <laughs> So we went to McDonald's. <laughs> and so so the night before, we were at this lavish meal out on the water right above the Sea of Galilee. And the next night, the three of us were sitting with a hamburger on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, scarfing down a, a quick burger before we left. But um, the, the, the only morning that we were there, I remember going to the front desk and I said, um, Wait, I want a wake-up call because I want to take my camera out on the balcony and shoot the sunrise over the Jordan Mountain and over the Sea of Galilee as it came up. And they said, we'll give you a call at 5 a.m. I said, mm -hmm. are you kidding? They said, no, if you want to see sun up, you got to get up that early. And uh, I shot a whole hour tape of the sunrise coming oh up. I, 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 everywhere I looked... The glistening of the sun reflecting on the water, the ships mm -hmm. that the, the the boats that they uh, the Jesus boats they call them that go out you know right. with tourists mm -hmm. they they would they were on the shore getting ready and starting to make their way out onto the water as the morning uh, unfolded. But uh, that was a to think about. Jesus calmed those waters with his words. Oh. Jesus walked on those waters. Um. There's a song, um, he said, peace, peace, be still. Hear my voice, peace, be still. Uh, like a child, uh, the winds obey him. Uh, and, and I was singing that song as I'm, as I'm shooting the video. But uh, that was a, a special moment uh, in my memory of, of that trip. But um, that's strange because that's that's the text I preached last night. It was about Jesus. Uh, really? Actually walking, actually walking, Matthew, Matthew 14, actually walking 
on the water to uh, after he had dismissed, after he had fed the 5,000, mm-hmm. he actually sent them out on the Sea of Galilee and he left them. And um, right beneath um, the, the uh, where they have the, the church that commemorates the feeding of the 5,000, uh, if you if you walk down from a spot there and walk out into a um, sort of an empty uh, field, like with some, and it leads to some bramble uh, and bushes and stuff, mm-hmm. and you keep walking towards the Sea of Galilee, and you go down, there are caves, and one of the caves they believe is actually where Jesus was when he saw the storm and the, and the, and the ship actually being tossed and that he actually walked down that, that, that hillside mm-hmm. and, uh, which is the highway right there now and walked across that water. And we got a chance to go sit in that cave and look out and you can't actually, you can actually see the, the boats out there. Um, but that's, um, and it's, but that's what I, I preached on that last night. Just it's interesting because um, all of these these sites are. A friend of mine, one of our, our guys, called calls the Holy Land um, the actual fifth gospel. You know, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm-hmm. And they call the Holy Land the fifth gospel because there are things you learn when you come here about how to interpret scripture. Uh, that you really realize that some things you've been interpreting wrong uh, because you don't understand how much the land and the people, the ways of the people, Jesus, when he spoke, and even when Paul did some writings, a lot of that had to do with the customs and the traditions of the people and the land itself. Mm -hmm. And when you don't understand that, you miss some of the... um, uh, what's going on uh, in the whole um, piece of like when he like the part where where he says and my I'm going to prepare a place for you mm-hmm. and my father's house there on you know, we used to say that many mansions yeah but it really means many rooms uh, we went to a um, uh, to some ruins of a home and what we got to understand was the custom was that if you had a son who got married the custom was he didn't move out of your house. Uh, if he was betrothed, mm-hmm. then the day of the, when you once you knew he was getting married, then the family, the father in particular, and him, and if he had any other brothers, they began immediately adding another room to the house for him and his wife mm-hmm. to because be she there was going to move in. Yeah, to yeah. be there with the father. Yeah, be there with the father mm-hmm. because he didn't want to lose another another worker for the land mm-hmm. and so and and this whole idea there are many rooms mm-hmm. and i got to hear that in 2014 with my son standing by my side oh wow and it was a blessing to me mm-hmm. and uh you know, he's now married mm-hmm. and i always tell him you know you got another room another place there uh did i'm sure you uh, went to mount carmel 
and um, and the view from there over the Valley of Megiddo. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's very difficult to describe unless you've seen it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole and and then if you understand this, if you understand the travel route during that time, why that area was so and it's so fertile. Mm-hmm. Uh, that whole plain uh, of Megiddo, and also that it was a, a military. Um, uh, strategic military site mm-hmm. uh, and and that it protected the whole land and so it was it made sense that many believe many bible scholars um, folk who study kind of prophecy that they really believe that that's going to be the site of the last battle mm-hmm. uh, and so and it looks like you could really hold <laughs> have yeah. a really skirmish out there absolutely mm-hmm. uh, have you ever been up on the, the the tail itself, and, and did you get a chance to go up there and see where all the horses were the stables? And no, we didn't go there. Oh, we went up there, and you could see the, the stables uh-huh. where they kept the horses. Uh, you can come down off of it and actually go through the cisterns where they kept all the water. I mean, it was it was a place that if you that if, if you lay siege to it, trying to starve them out, you'd be there for a while. We got a chance to now. This time, I got a chance to see something I'd never seen, and that was the snow while we were there. Really? Yeah, it actually snowed in in Jerusalem. And uh, the funny thing about this, the, uh, the, the Israelis, uh, they love snow uh, so much so they let school out. And what they do is the kids sounds like all, Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> yeah, but here's the deal: they all make it to the hills. They take the kids to the hills, and you see them climbing up the hills. And, slide down and we actually went up on um oh god what did they call it uh oh man oh boy where they had the 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 big battle with jordan um golden heights yes and we actually went up on the golden heights and um we got stuck because the traffic was so bad from people going up there Mm -hmm. that i had to walk uh, for about a third of the way up, and we got up there, and then you could see Mount Hermon, and it was so beautiful. It was so beautifully covered with snow. Uh, just, um, and, and then you could understand some Old Testament scriptures about about, about Mount Hermon and about how it looks when it's when it's when it snows. I mean, it is just beautiful, um, gorgeous, and I'd never seen that before. Um, so it was it was. Uh, this year was just fantastic for Alex. We got to see some stuff I just had never seen before. Because uh, it had never snowed. Well, so it didn't get cold, but it just never snowed like that. All the way down. Uh, and we also went up in um, the northern part of uh, what used to be called the Dan. It is like a rainforest up there. Uh, I mean, it's more, it's a lot of vegetation. Uh, and you don't think about that when you're in Israel. You, you think more about, you know, you see some of the fertile ground when, when they've learned how to grow crops and, mm-hmm. and everything. But Dan is so different um, with the uh, uh, water coming down out of the mountains and everything. You get a chance to see the water running like like wild streams. And um, that is really beautiful. 
there's even a gate there that they really believe was a gate that Abraham um, came through that place when uh, they were having uh, all of that with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. They call it Abraham's Gate, and it's still there all these years. Um, so it's just, and so it makes you, you know, it makes you preach differently. Um, you, I mean, you get to see stuff that, you know, uh, and you go like, wow. I mean, the one piece I think that really got me was watching a, a little shepherd boy actually talk to the sheep. Really? You know, yeah. Where were actually, you? Well, I was actually coming out of Jericho and coming back up, you know, to Jerusalem because, you know, you, Jerusalem is so high versus Jericho, which is so low. Mm-hmm. And we stopped along what they call the wadis. And, you know, the wadis are really uh, dried up streams, you know, um, riverbeds, really. And um, so we were actually out there and God was taught up, telling us about how when it comes a sudden rain, that that whole thing just almost floods. Mm-hmm. And so we were sitting there, and this kid was a Bedouin kid, uh, had sheep. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, he smiled, and I smiled, and then he bowed as if to say, we're getting ready to give you a performance. And so I looked at him, and he said something to the sheep, and they took off walking. And then he said something to them, they all went right. He said something again. All this was in Aramaic, and I couldn't, you know, I mm-hmm. speak. And then they went left. And then he said something. They stopped. And he, whatever he would say to them, they did it. And then finally, turned around and bowed and put his hand out. <laughs> you know, you got to pay. So I gave him, I gave him some money. And, uh, my sheep and hear then, my voice. That was that's it. funny. Yep. That was it. You got it. Yeah. Uh, and I said, now, mm-hmm. even though I knew that from, you know, from seminary and all that, yeah. but I saw it with yeah. my own eyes. Yeah. Yeah. My sheep know my voice yeah. and a stranger, they will not follow. Yeah. And I mean, it was the, I, it was the most abject lesson I'd ever seen. And this kid, I make he like about maybe 13 to 15 years old. And he was having a ball and he was just laughing at me the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> So I gave him, I gave him a few dollars, and then some other people gave me some dollars. Yeah. Everybody started watching. Uh, so it, it's uh, it's a different a world. Um, the other part that you have to get out of your mind is this is Mid East. It's not the Western culture, and the Mid Eastern culture is so different. They think more of thousands of years in those kinds of terms we think in snippets because we used to move fast 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 mm-hmm. you know, they don't they don't think like that uh, when you talk to them uh, they, they think about I am a part of the limit lineage of my father my grandfather and my great-grandfather and even my great-grandfather's father they see themselves as a part of a stream of history. Mm-hmm. And we might go back to grandmama, maybe. But they see themselves thousands of years of, in the making. And so part of that um, is that they're more patient with life than we tend to be uh, in the United States. Oh, that's they, a virtue we need. It's a virtue I oh, need. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
more patience for sure. Yeah. We've been yeah. talking for almost an hour, uh, Bishop, and uh, I could go on another hour. I, I've been, mm-hmm. We haven't spoken uh, very much at all, if at all, since you left Columbus. And it's like, mm-hmm. and, and I really feel that, that it's this way because of the relationship we have with each other through the Lord, that I can pick mm-hmm. up a phone and say, hey, would you... Would you mind being on my podcast after not seeing you or talking to you in 20-something years? And then we pick right back up where we left off from that Ash Wednesday service, however many years ago that was. But this has been a treat and a blessing to me. I, I know that it, it will be to those who will be viewing it. Uh, and again, on from the bottom of my heart, thank you for, for taking time out of your uh, busy, busy schedule to spend an hour uh, sharing with folks that hopefully that that you pastored who will be able to, to sort of catch up with you by listening to this podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Uh, I, uh, I will just say this in, in, in closing. The 14 years that we spent in Columbus, um, Delphine and I, we, we grew by leaps and bounds. Um, Whatever we gave, we received back in double measure. Um, uh, that city will always uh-huh. be a blessing in my life for the rest of my life. I turned off your 640. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was our cue. <laughs> that, was, that was serious. Kevin. You talked with you. Know. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, Pastor, I appreciate it again. Uh, I, I hope, uh, I know that you were here recently uh, for, for a funeral service, but hopefully on a on a a happier time when you're back in Columbus. Would love to see you. Stop by the station. I know Teresa would love to see you. But uh, again, you are you are a blessing. You'll always uh, be a blessing wherever you are. I know that's uh, that's what the Lord does through you is bless others. Thank you, and I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for you what you're doing, and I pray that this will continue to expand. All righty, thank you, sir. And we thank you for watching on this uh, podcast again. Faces of Faith is what it's called, and you've met one of the greatest faces of faith that I know, Bishop James Swanson, calling uh, in from St. Simons, actually in Mississippi now, but formerly from right here in Columbus, Georgia. Thanks again for watching, and as always at this time, we always say, whatever you're going through, always remember, keep the faith.